Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today, we are joined by a good friend, Abby Tornquist, to talk about the current climate of our world and the current climate of Boys Will Be Boys. A, a heated conversation awaits you in our second story. I'm genuinely someone who tries to root for the good of humanity. I'm not always perfect, I'll, I'll admit, but I try. And I do and I do make a few exceptions. Mitch McConnell is one of those exceptions. Who knows if that guy has one decent bone in his body? We don't know, but we kind of do. But I believe in allowing people who have done bad things to have a chance to redeem themselves. We haven't really had a chance to talk about prison reform on the show, but I'm all for second and third chances. It's when it gets to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth chance that I, I start to lose that faith. In this episode, I call Aaron Coleman, you'll hear more about him in the episode, a monster. Do I feel bad about making that distinction? Yeah, a, a bit. <laughs> now being able to uh, listen back. But that's what I felt in the moment. He is a young individual who has been given time and time again an opportunity to be better. And every time he spits in our face. I honestly just don't have a place in my heart for people that are willing to bypass basic respect and human dignity to better themselves and avoid the consequences of their actions. He will win an elected seat as a state legislator this November, and I hope his seventh, eighth, ninth chance at fixing his actions are actually taken seriously. Nobody deserves to be called a monster except for the people that continually show you that they are one. In the episode, we also talk about littering. Don't litter. Pick up after yourself. And while you're at it, clean your room. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, episode 51, titled Olay Apology with Abby Tornquist. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. I've been looking at your name a lot because I've been filling out my information. Yeah. And like, I know that's how you spell Abby, but it's just now that I've looked at it so much, every time I look at it, I'm like, that doesn't look right. You ever, like, you get that? All the time. Yep. I take myself <laughs> out too much. <laughs> All right. So are you ready to jump into our first news story of the episode? Yes. Let's do it. This is from BBC News Asia, September 18th. 2020. Thai National Park sends rubbish back to tourists. If you litter in Thailand's Khao Yai National Park, your rubbish may just come back to haunt you. Well, not exactly haunt, but it will be shipped to your home as a pointed reminder that when out in nature, you better dang clean up after yourself. And guess what? You'll also be registered with the police. Take that. Visitors to Khao Yai National Park, which saw 1.6 million visitors in 2019, have to register upon arrival, making it easier for rangers to track down those who leave rubbish behind. In Thailand, littering in a national park is punishable with up to five years in prison, and very, very hefty fines. In the US, for comparison, you could face up to six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. So, Abby, we're, you know, we love nature here. You're, you, As you said before we started recording, you're getting into nature, starting to love it more. Yeah. Over 100 million pounds of trash are generated in US national parks every year. Could Thailand's policy of sending people their trash back, having to, you know, register when you get into national parks, potentially going to jail for five years. Is that a step forward or is the punishment just way too severe? <laughs> 
Well, I think it would be kind of impossible to send everyone their trash back. But I have to say, I read this story and it made me so happy. Like, I wish we could just send everyone their bags of freaking dog poop and beer cans back to their steps. (laughs) But I mean, I think it would be it's a little drastic, but there could be like measures taken like that, I would say. While back in my younger, crazier days, you know, going to national parks. I know a lot of people who just sneak in. Some people even live in national parks. You know, I know at least for the US, you have to buy like a national park card, but there's no, you don't have to register. You don't have to put down your address. You don't really have to put down your name unless you're paying with a credit card. So there is, right. I think there could be like a system kind of to change how we register people coming into national parks. Because these are like U.S. national parks are pristine. Like they're a national wonder. They're they're absolutely perfect. But as you said, you know, so much dog poop bags, so many cans, so many things. It's like, come on. It's you got to do better here, guys. I would say people are actually pretty good about it here in Washington. Um, Like Washington State. Yeah, yeah. Washington State. If you, people will hand you your stuff back if you leave a mess, people have zero tolerance for it. At least the people that live out here. Um, so I think that like we as people could also do better at holding people accountable. And like if you see someone drop something, be like, hey, don't do that. I don't know if there's really a way that we could like keep track of everyone that goes into a national park. Actually, it's funny. So when I was little, I used to have this fear of littering because I always thought that the police would fingerprint (laughs) my litter and I would go to jail. Mm. So maybe we just tell everyone that that's what we're going to (laughs) do and that they would have to serve the five-year sentence. Well, I think, yeah, I think if you start punishing people with like five-year sentences, like thousands and thousands of dollars, people are going to be like, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And it'll, it'll start implementing some habits and then people will stop littering so much. And stop having gender reveal parties in the middle of National Forest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That would be ideal. (laughs) No, and I do think, I think what you said about having to hold others responsible, like that is important. It's also important that, you know, people that are littering aren't, are holding themselves responsible because it's like, this is our earth. If we all just destroy it, there's not going to be any earth for us to live on. Yeah. And going to these parks is like a privilege. So we should be able, we should treat it as like a gift to us, not as like something that we deserve to be able to experience, you know? I'm, I'm pretty sure this is Japan, but like in Japan, well, oh, first off, let me rephrase this whole sentence. Let me kind of restart on it. But I feel like in the US, we look down upon like, janitors say or cleaners or housemaids or stuff like that but i know i'm pretty sure in japan in like high schools they don't have any janitors because the kids have to clean up after themselves like i feel like even just implementing that into our younger generation like janitors garbage men like garbage men make a ton of money and i remember in high school teachers counselors were like don't be a garbage man i'm like they're making bank yeah absolutely and they're doing something that's actually beneficial to our society. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think just better uh, implementation of obviously personal responsibility and then being like, hey, it's not bad to clean up after yourself and not make a pigsty. I mean, those are life lessons that we all should learn like in our lives as well. Like I've known plenty of messy people that could also benefit from that lifestyle change. So... (laughs) Well, as we as we, you know, climate change, obviously, uh, with the election coming up a big conversation, you know, as we move towards a this uncertain climate future, because depending on who's elected, 
the climate could go one of two ways. Uh, how will being eco-friendly and respecting national parks and just the environment in general set us up for a greener future? Um, like obviously with climate change and everything, like it's a it's something we need to act on right now. Um, national parks are very important when it comes to conserving like natural resources and sustainable um, sustainable resources. Also, just like conserving national habitats. Um, uh, no, I mean. I think there does need to be um, like, I mean, kind of what we're saying, you got to hold yourself responsible because I can, we can look at the facts and say like nine, I think like 90% of the pollution in the oceans is from fishing nets. You can say, well, I'm just going to blame fishing companies. I'm going to blame companies like, who was the company who did the oil spill? ExxonMobil? Yeah, I think so. ExxonMobil has probably spilled oil in the ocean or somewhere. You know, <laughs> I think it's easy as like, you know, a regular everyday citizen to be like, well, it's their fault. It's the bigger guy's fault. It's these big industries that are implementing, right. you know, these horrendous changes that are causing all this pollution. But I also think we as individuals also have to be responsible. We can't just assume that these large industries are going to change because, I mean, it's been how many years and they're not really changing. It's, I mean, I guess I'm going to use the analogy of voting. Yes, your one vote does not matter. You deciding to use plastic bags doesn't really matter. But when you have thousands and thousands and millions of people with that same idea, then it kind of starts to matter. Yeah, absolutely. That goes right back to just like the implementing habits uh, in people. And like, it starts so small. Like it's just one decision that you decide, hey, I'm not going to use plastic straws anymore. Suddenly that becomes easy because you haven't used plastic straws in a month and then it's two months and then it's a year. And then you just don't even think about using plastic straws anymore. Like once you're able to do that one thing, then you're consciously thinking about maybe I shouldn't be using plastic bags and maybe I should buy aluminum toothpaste containers. You oh, know? I didn't even know it's, that's a thing. It's just, it is a thing. <laughs> They're great actually. <laughs> or like bamboo toothbrushes or there's just so many options for things. I mean, I understand to some level, like those things can be like sustainable items can can be a little more expensive for people that can't afford them but it's it's just little things any little thing you can do to just reduce the waste would be awesome and then all those little things add up so it's super important kind of realizing that what i do still matters even though it technically doesn't matter because i think the hardest thing when it comes to like green technology is you know we happen to live in america where we're not a third world country, but when you get into like third world countries, like you said, greener things, more eco-friendly things are a lot more expensive. And it's like, well, one thing for this amount, or can I buy 10 things for the same amount? I'm probably going to buy those 10 things. So it's, I, I know this maybe sounds a little bit uh, narcissistic, but I feel like we people in like first world countries who have the ability to spend 15 extra cents on, you know, aluminum tube of toothpaste yeah. have to kind of go above and beyond to make up for those people who can't. Yeah, absolutely. That's just what I was going to say. I think it makes it so that it's up to like Amazon or the big companies to make those decisions so that all of their boxes and just make everything recyclable so that we can do it easier so that like each individual person doesn't feel like they have to pay, you know, a dollar more for a paper bag like those should just be in place already and paid for by the corporations because <laughs> corporations have the money and they don't, they don't need it no that's a very very good point and i think um 
But I think it is important for everyone to kind of foot the bill on this because this is our earth. Right. If we don't have an earth to live on, if we, you know, screw over the future generations, I mean, it doesn't matter what I did or you did because we didn't all step in and step, step up, step up, just step up. <laughs> exactly. Like if you don't do anything to try to make this world better, then like it's kind of on you when things start to go down, you know? Yeah. And it's easy to blame Amazon for putting a small micro SD card in a 10 foot box. Right. But then you're the person that ordered that SD card, knowing that they would do that. So it's like the little things count too. I'm glad we're not on video because I just have a ton of Amazon boxes. In my- <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, before we move on, Abby, just why, why is the great outdoors something that matters to you? You know, as you talked about being able to like go out to during COVID when we're all stuck inside and being able to have that fresh air and kind of new sense of life. So um, it's been honestly like crucial during this time for me because obviously like when we are, when we're all stuck inside, um, it gets really easy to get in your head to just dwell on everything that's (laughs) going on. But lately I have been going on a lot of hikes uh, have even snowshoed in the last few months. I've done a lot of road tripping. So I'll just take my Jeep and I'll drive and I'll just drive till I see something cool. And then I'll pull over and I'll sit there for a while. And uh, astrology speaking, I'm a Pisces. So I'm very apt to just sit somewhere for like two <laughs> hours think about everything. <laughs> but I love it. Like it, whenever I get stressed, it helps so much to just go sit sit somewhere or walk around somewhere and realize that the world is so much bigger than just you. Also, it just helps so much with processing your thoughts and emotions so that you can go back into your everyday life with like a clearer mindset. Yeah, it's become honestly crucial. Like every time I'm sitting at home and I'm just fed up with everything, I'll be like, nope, you're not going to do this. You're not going to (laughs) spiral. And so I just throw my bags in my car and I drive and I have no destination in mind. I even sometimes have been gone for like three days and we'll just (laughs) start them, which is a whole other story. But it has been really awesome for me to be able to spend that time uh, in the great outdoors. No, very, very beautiful statement. I think that's, it's so important. Like I've, I've shared here on the show, like I was sitting on a bench in Maine looking at the ocean and I just broke down and cried because everything was just so beautiful in the moment. I had the time to like really think about my life that you don't really have. I mean, you can create these moments inside, but being able to be in the beauty and the, just the the grandiose nature of what our world is and to be able to realize, like you said, I'm just a small part of this huge ecosystem, Yeah, I think really helps put things in perspective. Oh, absolutely. And I actually got uh, laid off from my everyday job through COVID. Uh, and it's honestly been a blessing because I've never taken the time. I'm always the person to work like for yes. God mm-hmm. and work crazy <laughs> hours and like fit everything in that I can because you know I want to be a boss bitch and make money and pay off all my loans and stuff. So but it's been so cool because I never realized how important it is to take that time for yourself. Um no but I think you know when we talk about the the benefits of nature, the great outdoors, from a mental health standpoint, it's I mean, all the studies, all the data shows that it's beneficial to kind of round it back up and finish up this 
article, you know, being able to keep these places clean because I'm, not, I'm maybe I don't cry on that bench if there's trash is all over the place and there's a fish stuck in a Coke can six pack plastic thing. So I think it is very important that we keep these places clean so I can cry on a bench. That's my final, my final statement. <laughs> Take your dog's poop bag with you. <laughs> yes. Um, I would like to welcome to the podcast my good friend, Abby Tornquist. Abby and I have <laughs> known each other for a, a few years now. Yeah. You're an incredibly wise and talented individual. So thank you. Like I said, thank you for coming on the show and welcome to Water Cooler Talk. Yeah. Uh, We've touched kind of about the importance of getting outside, exploring nature as we move towards the end of this year, as long as that has been. uh, What's the importance of just, you know, taking time for ourselves, being independent? You know, you're you're being a boss bitch out there in Washington State. (laughs) You know, I try. (laughs) Uh, I think it is honestly crucial because when you take time for yourself, you are refreshed and you're ready to go and you're more focused on the things that you actually need to get done. And because I have been unemployed now for six months, um, it's been a really good time for me to just focus on myself and like learning and growing. Like I'll hop in the car, drive to a different state and just really just figure out who I am. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things taken out of this crappy situation and Everyone's really in a crappy situation this this past year, but I think it has allowed a lot of people the time to really, as you say, figure ourselves out. Like I know before this year, I wasn't in the greatest headspace, but being able to take that time off to focus on obviously not being able to work, being able to focus on something like this where you know now we're up for potentially a few awards. You heard it here first, listeners. Um, but to be able to just take the time and focus on things you really want to focus on, because I know, you know, we have a large international audience, but I know domestically here in the US, there's so much focus on work. Like you said, you know, I I think the last time we connected, you were working like three different, three or four different jobs to pay off all your debt, which I think you said you did. So congratulations on that. Yeah. But like, that's the the mindset of the American workforce is the work, work, work to try to hopefully one day get out of debt so you can have that independence. I definitely just never really felt like time for myself was necessary. Um, You know, you always hear people say like, take time for yourself or treat yourself or all that, but you never really like understand what it means. Cause I think it's really important to not only take time for yourself, but also to kind of step back and reassess and think, okay, so like I worked 70 hours this week, I'm run down, I'm exhausted. Like, what can I do to um, relieve some of this pressure? Because I've had so much time to myself. I've realized that I really don't need half the things that I thought I needed. (laughs) You know, I was getting by on like $200 a week, but all I ever needed was just some food and like maybe some gas money. You really don't need all the things that I honestly thought I did. Definitely uh, makes sense. And I think kind of wrapping into that first story, I think a lot of people have realized we just don't as you know, budgets have gotten very, very, very tight um, and you're living on rice and beans. But a lot of people have realized I don't need the excessive amount of things that I once thought I needed. And hopefully during that time, we eventually get to a point where it's like, well, I don't need as much 
I guess as what I was just saying, we don't need as much as we once thought we needed. So hopefully there's less trash, there's less littering, there's less, you know, pollution into national parks. Yeah. And also if you don't need the things that you thought you needed, that also alleviates pressure from maybe working so much. I I, I think, you know, what you said is, is very true because you realize work isn't, at least from here in the US, you realize work really isn't everything. No, definitely not. And I think it's important to think of work as, you know, you're working to make money so that you can survive. But like, your quality of life is equally as important. I just think it's important to like find a job that you enjoy and maybe not work in a crazy. <laughs> no, I think that's the, that's the one of the biggest wishes I hope we get coming out of COVID, especially here in the US, is just the importance of kind of going back to the question, the importance of having time for yourself and not working yourself to death because you want to afford this big ass TV or, you know, you need the newest of the new, you need the new PlayStation or something like that. So I think it, it, it's my hope and dreams and beliefs and everything and wishes that coming out of this, you know, we feel like we don't have to be so burdened by our work. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, if you would like to connect and support Abby, you can do so by following her on Instagram at Abby Tornquist. Once again, at Abby Tornquist, Tornquist spelled T-O-R-N-Q-U-I-S-T. You can also support her photography by following at photography on Instagram. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are in a mission to help get back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of the episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to that charity in honor of the guest, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love hope, and togetherness. And we hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread their message to your own personal audience. Abby, your charity of choice for today's episode is the Loveland Foundation. Do you mind explaining a bit about what they do and the impact they have in the community? Yeah. So the Loveland Foundation is a foundation that sponsors therapy sessions for Black women and girls. And we all could use therapy during this time, but especially the black community. Yeah, I was reading a bit about what they do. And I think, I don't know who said it, but like black women are the most underrepresented group in the world or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, black women and black trans folk. Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing them on the show or mentioning them on the show. All right, Abby, are you ready to get into the old story of good old Aaron Coleman? Oh, I don't know. Hold me back. This is from the Atlantic Culture, August 25th, 2020. The unending influence of boys will be boys. When you were 13, a guy you'd never met got a nude photo of you. He demanded that you give him more naked pictures of yourself or he'd send the one he had to everyone you knew. You didn't do what he asked. So he sent out that photo of your naked body to your schoolmates, your friends, your family at 13. Several years ago, a guy began harassing you. He got your home phone number. He kept calling your house. Kept calling, 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 calling until someone picked up. This went on for months. When you were in the sixth grade, a friend of a guy you were dating decided he didn't like what you looked like. He called you a whale. Told you to go on a diet. Told you to get braces. Told you to kill yourself. He bullied you cruelly and consistently. 
Now 20-year-old Aaron Coleman, who ran and won during the Democratic primary for a seat in the Kansas House of Representatives by a margin of 14 votes over seven-term Democratic incumbent Stan Fraunfelter, past actions have taken away the sheen, which should have been a David defeats Goliath victory. That is, well, because Coleman is that harassing bully. When the girls, now young women, came forward to share what Coleman had done, he took responsibility. He apologized, and he stepped away from the race. <laughs> but unfortunately, the story does not end there. After briefly ending his campaign, two days later, he reversed the decision and announced that he would remain in the race. Coleman blamed his initial departure on the progressive circular firing squad that has done more to uphold the status quo than conservatives have ever dreamed of. And in the wake of those comments, Coleman's candidacy rose to national attention, fomenting debates about accountability, atonement, and justice. He was sorry. He was just a kid. Isn't it time to move on and forgive him? After an interview by The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald of Coleman, Greenwald offers a lengthy consideration of the elements at play in Coleman's story, noting his treatment of the girls was horrific, but emphasizing Coleman's difficult childhood and his compassionate political platform. For Greenwald, a crucial element was the fact that Coleman was young, 12 or 13 years old at the time. He says, All this raises profound and important decisions about whether adults should be judged by the actions they undertook while they were a child, particularly when they have apologized and expressed remorse. It has long been a staple of liberal philosophy that humans can and should be rehabilitated, not internally condemned for bad acts, particularly those committed when they were very young. But the crucial element missing from Greenwald's considerations was the girls were young too. They will be, in their own way, eternally condemned for the choices made on their behalf. Greenwald allowed the conversation to focus on what is owed to the abuser, not the abused. The young woman who was driven to attempted suicide and who Coleman later, in a letter to one of her relatives, said to move on, says that his latest bid for power has brought her a new kind of pain. She says, I feel very good about speaking my truth, but I'm still very upset because he's going to have some form of power, and I don't think he has a right to have any kind of power. I don't know why he's not being held accountable. The now 20-year-old woman whose nudes Coleman shared shared a similar sentiment. It's good that he admitted to what he did. I just don't think he needs to be in a powerful position considering what he's done to girls. The women, of course, were not talking about Coleman's right to employment or even a generalized form of forgiveness. They were arguing merely that Coleman, a now 20-year-old who committed his wrongings only seven years ago, should not represent the people of Kansas in its state legislator. If you're talking about atonement, those public rejections of Coleman's apologies would seem to be crucial. But the comments made by the survivors of Coleman's harassment and bullying have been notably absent from much of the discussion about what Aaron Coleman deserves. On social media, many people sought symbolism, abstracting these stories' particulars into lessons about life in a digital society, or about feminism run amok. National news outlets, address the woman's experiences through the utilitarian lens of what Coleman could offer for the future of politics and the Democratic Party. But what is to be said about the women whose lives were changed, not by their own decisions, but by the decisions of Coleman, by what some outlets call just a boy being a boy? So Abby, I don't know if you know, but there is a few updates to this story. Is there? It doesn't get better. <laughs> uh, so recently, within the past year, Aaron Coleman's ex-girlfriend came out to say, with text receipts, uh, how he slapped and choked her during a physical argument. Both of them had hit each other, but he did tell her later to air out a clip into your head. Uh, this was all within the last year. In response to that statement, Coleman released his own statement. Uh, two months I dated his ex-girlfriend. We're mutually abusive, and this is not a justification for what I did, but the reason I must lead by example. But <laughs> words are not enough for today. We must strive to create a society safe for women, which we currently do not do. 
because of people like you, Aaron Coleman. Uh, he continues, I believe if we had more early childhood education funding and taught what healthy interpersonal relationships look like, my ex and I would have been less toxic to each other. Um, this is, <laughs> we talked about deep fakes a few episodes ago and that I was heated on that, but this is a story where it's, it's ridiculous. You know, the update perfectly fits into my thoughts about an individual like Aaron Coleman. I truly believe he is not remorseful for his actions. He's not sorry. He's sorry the pain and suffering of these women have caused him hardships. His abuse of them has made his life more difficult. That's what he's sorry about. In both of his apologies, the apology for the um, the bullying, the revenge porn, and the harassing of those women when he was younger, and then the apology about beating and sending threatening texts to his ex-girlfriend. He did what I like to call, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Abby, but it's called like the Olay bullfighting apology, <laughs> where he, he apologizes and shows remorses for his actions, but he doesn't actually take responsibility for those actions. It's always someone else. It's always something else that's responsible. He's never solely responsible. You know, in that update I read, I take responsibility for abusive relationship, but also it's the educational system's fault as well. Right. And a part of being a better person is taking sole responsibility for your actions and showing that words have meanings. You know, I'm a big believer in actions speak louder than words. I'm also a very big believer in your private actions are much more important than your public actions. It's very easy to look into a camera and say, I'm sorry, you know, I tone for my sins. But if you're not doing that in public, if you're still being a controlling asswipe and you're still being an abuser, what does it really matter? That's exactly what I was thinking. I... Oh, I'm fuming. This whole story just makes me so upset. Uh, like he never asked the victims like how he could atone for what he did. Like the victims clearly just don't want him in a position of power. So if he was truly sorry for what he did and truly wanted to make it up to them, he wouldn't be running. You do. You have to take responsibility for what you did by showing that you're actually changing. Like, you know, we can talk all about cancel culture, but the idea is if you were a horrible person in the past and you've shown that you've changed, I'm fine with us, you know, forgetting about what you did, unless it's something horrible. Right. But for someone in his situation, if he could have shown, you know, if he could have put in the work, you know, worked with people of abuse, worked with, you know, charities of people of abuse, you know, figured out a way, as you said, to correctly atone for these actions, I would see this in a better light. But as we know from the update, and as I'm sure a lot more people are going to come forward and share their stories about Aaron Coleman, he's not changing. He's just hiding himself better. Yeah, he's clearly just scapegoating and putting all the blame on other things. Even when in the article, um, it talked about how he had a rough childhood or these are <laughs> all the things that he went through that still doesn't make up for what he did. It is just exactly. find ways to explain around his actions. Exactly. That's 100% true. There's a lot of people that have had rough childhoods that have had situations in their personal life that affect the rest of their life. And they're still good people. They don't bully women. <laughs> um, as I mentioned in the article, he reached out to a relative of one of the family members, wrote a letter that says, hey, it's time to move on. That was seven years ago. This was, you know, within the past few years. And then even with his ex-girlfriend, uh, who we talked about in the update, she has the text receipts too. You guys can look this up on the internet that said, hey, can you please not make this go public? I'm trying to protect my political career. Nothing he's done has shown 
that he wants to be a better person. No, that's so frustrating. Like own up to what you freaking did. Like just own up to it, you know? Like if you do something wrong, you talk about it. Like it's all about communicating with people and being like, hey, I fucked up. I'm super sorry. And here's all the ways that like I want to change. But like no one's going to believe you even if you just say that, you know, like you can't just say here's all the ways that I'm going to try to be better. You have to like physically make an effort. And he clearly didn't do that. Also, you do not send someone a letter saying get over it. Like, well, well, and this this is this is where it gets interesting because I've talked about on the show. Like, I remember my first major girlfriend after we broke up, I sent her a letter that says, I, I want you back. And, you know, looking in the context, I didn't there was no abuse. I didn't do anything of the stature that Aaron Coleman did, but I still sent this letter, obviously put her in an uncomfortable position, Mm -hmm. but I now know, hopefully I know, hopefully I'm a lot better. Um, but I now know that was not the right decision. I'm never going to do that again because I understand the implications of what that letter I sent did to another person. Yeah. I just don't think he does. He sees this as, I'm I'm not going to say all politicians, but a lot of politicians are willing to I mean, House of Cards was a perfect example. People are willing to throw things under the rug or try to protect themselves in whatever way possible up to the point of what Kevin Spacey did in that show and kill multiple people. I don't I don't know why politicians tend to be so aggressive in protecting their image. It's I just don't know why. Well, it's also frustrating because, I mean, he's a male. And so like in these specific situations, like it's happened so many times where people will get called out for what they've done and like maybe they'll get a slap on the wrist and stuff, but like they still will remain elevated. Um, For instance, like Bill O'Reilly, he was fired for all of those sexual harassment cases and then he still is on TV. Like he still has a job. It's like he really didn't get punished for that. He hasn't really made amends either. So it's just like, one of those things that happens over and over again, we shouldn't we shouldn't be acceptant of that. That's true. It's one of those things where this Aaron Coleman kid, he's still in the running. He's going to run, I believe, this position in Kansas is unopposed. So he's going to win this seat in the Kansas House of Representatives. He's just going to continue his life like nothing really happened. He may have some downfall from it eventually, but it's not going to be as big of a deal as it is for these women who now have to live with someone who harassed and abused them and now has a position of power. Like they said, they're fine if he gets a job, if he continues his life, but they just don't think he deserves a position of power. And I 100% agree with them. Yeah, I totally agree because along with being like a victim in this case, they also like when you are a victim, you have this like added pressure or not exactly pressure. You have like an added worry that that person is going to do it again. That's like a huge issue. And so we're literally putting someone who has shown these signs, who has done these acts in a position of power to where he could easily do it again and get away probably easier. Yeah, that's 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 a very excellent point. And I, I kind of want to ask you going back to obviously... These girls have blocked him. There's no there's no formal communication between the two parties. Can an apology be considered a full atonement if it has not been accepted? So say he apologizes to these girls, but they don't accept it. Can he still be atoned for his actions? Or I guess just taking out who Aaron Coleman is, 
say if someone wrongs another person and they apologize, but the other person doesn't accept that apology, is that I don't is that an atonement for what happened? Yeah, I mean that's a tough question because forgiveness and all that is honestly just up to them. Like not like we can't tell someone whether or not they can accept an apology. So even if these women didn't accept his apology, it did reach them. Even if they didn't, I think he could have atonement for his actions by taking steps forward and like really initiating change in his own behavior. And even the way he talks about women and the way he talks about situations, even if that was changed, I would be more willing to not think he was an asshole. But (laughs) (laughs) the way in the way he talks and the way that he's addressed it, he has shown no remorse. And like, I'm sure these women are able to see that, you know, even if they can't receive direct messages from him because he is going to be in a position of power. I'm sure they're listening. You know, there's social media, there's news, there's all that everywhere. There's ways to get the message out to these people that like, he's truly sorry. Yeah, that's a good point. You can't, you can give an apology, but you can't expect forgiveness. Right. Yeah. Well, and then just, I mean, so obviously what that Greenwald uh, fella says, the Intercept article talked about, you know, this was seven years ago. Let's take away what Aaron Coleman has done presently with his girlfriend. I think there's a news story that came out recently that I haven't confirmed, so I'm not going to mention it. But take away the updated uh, piece of this article. How do how do we hold him accountable for those actions in his past? It's tough. But also, okay, so I just have to bring this up. So this whole article talks about how like, you know, he was young, it was a mistake he made when he was young. And it just made me think of all the young people that are like, in juvie and in prison for like marijuana stuff, you know, what line do we use? Like, like, what situations is it okay to be like, oh, he was just a kid. And what situations is it okay to be like, very good point accountable, like, it's very frustrating to me, that more often than not, the situations that we waive are sexual assault situations with women. It's very frustrating because with drugs or other things, people take them as so black and white when this is a black and white situation as well. There's evidence, there's like proof these, it's multiple people that it's happened to. It's not like a gray area. It's like these things happened and now he has to atone for it. When there's multiple people coming out and saying a very similar story, it's not just one person making it up to try to get attention. Yeah. These are people that has had their lives affected by what this person did and kind of, you know, going back to what we said, you know, when I was 12, 13, I was not sharing nude photos of girls around the school. I was not bullying young girls. I was not excessively calling someone to the point where they're crying every time they see me. I wasn't doing that. And there's a lot of people that aren't doing that. This kid is a monster back then, and he's still a monster now. Even taking away the update about, you know, him being in an abusive relationship with his girlfriend and then blaming the education system for why he's abusive, to our main point of what we're trying to say is up to a point, like you said, it's it's tough to decide what that point is, but up to a point, your past actions, as long as you're willing to show that you've grown through the years, I can forgive those actions. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're holding people accountable, you know, I think Kevin Hart's Oscar things was the most a lot of people probably know what we're talking about. You know, Kevin Hart was going to host the Oscars and then they found a bunch of tweets about him using gay slurs and he lost that opportunity. Kevin Hart is doing amazing things for a lot of underdeserved or uh, under 
representing the communities. You know, maybe back in the day he wasn't, but now he is. I don't think he should have been blocked from the Oscars. Kevin Hart has been someone who has shown through all his work, all his charitable work, everything he does for local communities, that he deserves to have those sins forgiven. I mean, cancel culture is just, it's not healthy. Like, we're all human. We all make mistakes. But it's what we do with those mistakes that make you a good or a bad person. You know, it's whether you grow from it and learn from it and, like, atone for it or whether you keep doing it and blame it on other things. Cancel culture, I mean, as they say, cancel culture needs to get canceled, right? It, it's it's one of those things where it's a good idea in the beginning and it, and it was just taken too far. Right. It was one of those situations where now it's become a hit squad. Like, oh, I don't like Kevin Hart, so I'm going to dig through thousands and thousands of tweets to find a few bad tweets? Come on, that's, everyone has skeletons in their closet. Everyone's done bad things. I have a lot of bad things I've done. Yeah. You know, I'm a better person because of it, hopefully. Yeah. But we've all done bad things. And if you dig deep enough, you're going to find those bad things. But it doesn't represent who I am as a person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, I guess just kind of what are what are your final closing thoughts on the story on Aaron Coleman on boys? Let's end it on what are your thoughts on, you know, the phrase boys will be boys. We'll get your opinion and then my opinion as a former boy. There's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I definitely obviously hate that phrase. Like we can't just brush off anyone's actions, you know, like we all need to be held to the same standard. It was really frustrating. Also in that article, I like I read a few times they mentioned how, you know, newspaper articles were, were calling it like feminism run amok and things like that. And it's just so frustrating because that all feminism is, is equal rights. Like we're not like, mm -hmm. no one's asking for special treatment or anything, just like for everyone to be held to the same standards. So boys will be boys is not a thing. Um, <laughs> you definitely like boys need to be held to um, boys just need to be held accountable. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's not a thing. It's, you know, boys will be boys, locker room talk. These are phrases that are made up to explain away bad behavior by bad people, bad parents, a bad society. I remember hearing boys will be boys all the time growing up. And it was kind of that get out of jail free card. And I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't seem right. I should be held accountable for what I'm doing here. But you have, uh, you know what? He's pushing down that girl. Uh, boys will be boys. He just like uh, even that. Even the example of I think we talked about this with e Eliza Vancourt. You know that idea that oh, if a boy pushes you down when you're a little girl and pulls your pigtails, that just means he likes you. Yeah. These are not behaviors we should be teaching younger kids. We shouldn't be teaching them boys will be boys and locker room talk. And you can say whatever you want in a locker room, or you know you can do whatever you want as long as you're a young boy. These aren't good phrases to be teaching the younger generation, and I think they just need to. Go extinct. We need to hold people recount hold people accountable, you know, regardless of how young they are. And then, you know, if you get to the age like, oh, two, three, like the terrible twos, three, four, you know, those ages, then there has to be some responsibility by the parents to be able to teach those kids how to properly be a part of society. Yeah. I I remember one time um I was at my friend's house in my hometown of Wilmer, Minnesota. And there was just like a group of people hanging out. Her boyfriend at the time um, was like joking around with the other boys that were in the room. And he was saying some really like offensive things about her. And also just like, 
he went up to another girl in the room and like hit her butt. And I was like, I was like, are you going to be okay? Or are you like, okay with this? Like, this is not cool. And then she's like, oh, boys will be boys. And she said that and like laughed it off. And I was like, absolutely not. Like you stand up for yourself or I will, because like, that's not okay. And like, I think it's such a thing that's ingrained in our heads from when we're younger, at least in like, especially in like conservative societies and things like that, um, that like, oh, boys will be boys. Like they can joke around, they can be messy, they can be violent. And it's like, that doesn't stop unless we make it stop for ourselves too. You know, I I talked about this in a recent episode with Maria. It's like, for some reason, us men have had this ingrained that we're supposed to act a certain way. We're supposed to be manly. We're supposed to wear checkered flannel shirts when we need to go cut wood. But it's such a stupid way of looking at the world and it needs to change. And hopefully through conversations like this, people realize how ridiculous phrases like boys will be boys is because it helps. It doesn't create people like Aaron Coleman, because I think there is an aspect of Aaron Coleman just being a bad person. I I do believe that a bad childhood definitely helps, but you also have to have the responsibility of he's making his own actions. But people like Aaron Coleman they are they become what they become with the help of phrases like boys will be boys and locker room talk. Yep, absolutely. Well, Abby, I want to thank you for taking your time to share some of these strangest, share your perspective on some of these strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Once again, if you'd like to support and connect with Abby, you can do so by following her on Instagram at Abby Tornquist. Once again, at Abby Tornquist, Tornquist spelled T-O-R-N-Q-U-I-S. Follow her on her mini Jeep adventures into the great outdoors. You can also support her photography by following at photography on Instagram. And as you already know, obviously, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Abby, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and, well, just trying to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. And we are now to my favorite part of the show where I hand off the show to you to close off the show. Whatever needs to be said in this moment, I'll put the pressure on and I trust that you... that you will close out the show so well that people will remember these words for the rest of their life. The floor is yours. Stay cool, be a decent human, get outside, and if you leave trash at a national park, Adam and I will come and we will find you. All right, well, listeners, until next time, peace. Bye. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. What an episode. What a guest. What a time. Thank you once again to Abby for talking about those bizarre news stories. As always, make sure to support Abby's charity of choice, the Loveland Foundation. All it takes is $5, the price of a coffee, or sharing their mission with another person around the water cooler. Wherever those pesky water coolers may be. But anyways, to the corrections. During the first story discussing the consequences of littering in national parks, in the US, all you need to buy an annual park pass is $80 and be above the age of 16. As mentioned, unless you use a credit card, there's no record of who is buying these national park passes. I was correct in saying that most schools in Japan do not employ janitors. 
They believe that requiring students to clean the school themselves teaches respect, responsibility, and emphasizes equality. In the U.S., garbage truck workers make an average about thirty-eight thousand a year, seven thousand more than teachers. So maybe that's why your teacher was telling you don't end up as a garbage man. <laughs> as for the ninety percent of plastic in the ocean being from fishing nets and related materials, that's not true. Apologies for that incorrect fact. The reason why we have the corrections because I'm not always perfect. According to Greenpeace, eighty-six percent of the plastic on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is a collection of marine debris in the North Pacific Ocean, is fishing material. But a more scientific study of the patch done by Nature Research, a much more reliable and credible source than Greenpeace, measures about forty-six percent of the patch being from fishing materials, nets, lines, the plastic just used in large-scale fishing in general. And finally, ExxonMobil was responsible for an oil spill in 1989, the Exxon Valdez, as well as five other major oil spills, with one of the biggest oil spills in the recent history. Being the Deepwater Horizon owned by BP, I also think Mark Wahlberg did a <laughs> patriotic movie about the Deepwater Horizon、uh, that you can watch. All right, water coolings. That's another corrections corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to. Abby for calling into the studio and talking about some of the strangest and most weirdest news stories the world has to offer. But anyways, that's your corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. <laughs> <laughs>